0: John thirteen begin about verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, did you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Skip down to verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. If someone calls you flat-footed, it means that you're slow-moving. To be back on your heels means you're stunned, you're surprised. If you're footloose, it means that you're carefree, without worry. But if they carry you out feet first, it's never a good thing. <laughs> You can have cold feet, hot feet, feet of clay, two left feet. You can shake the dust off your feet, vote with your feet, hold someone's feet to the fire, jump in with both feet. You can even run them off your feet. But before you do any of that, you've got to get your feet wet. You've got to get your feet wet. That old idiom literally means to step out, to get started, to experience something for the first time. And usually it, it implies some degree of risk. The idea behind getting your feet wet, that idiom actually comes straight out of Scripture. It originates from there. It comes from Joshua chapter 3. Not the exact phrase, but the idea behind it. Where the children of Israel, led by Joshua, have finally made their way, after 38 years wandering in the wilderness, make their way to the banks of the Jordan River. All they have to do is cross and come into the Promised Land. But the Bible tells us the Jordan was in flood stage. Which means the the Jordan at that time, especially in that region, at that place of crossing, could be as much as two miles wide. And so as the children of Israel stood there, perhaps some had the memory of the Red Sea 40 years prior. But as they stand there looking across... The Lord says to Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, verse 13, It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off. The waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Now, I would have loved a a snapshot, a selfie of that. (laughs) You know, standing in front of all the waters up in a big heap. Well, we don't see that. The children of Israel didn't see that. It would happen far upstream. But the Lord said, I want you to cross into the promised land, but before you do, you've got to get your feet wet. you got to step in. Once you have stepped in, that's indication that you are trusting me to do exactly as I have said that I would do. To get your feet wet, again, is to step out into the risky currents with confidence. Confidence, not arrogance. You see, on this night, on this night of Jesus' betrayal, we have 12 lords and only one servant in the upper room. The 12 lords filed in, walking right past basin and towel, plopping down on pillows around the table, taking a load off their dusty, crusty, smelly feet. Not a one got their feet wet. They sat down there, And three years, think about this, three years walking with Jesus, three years of awe, three years of of the miracles of the master. And they file into this room and not one of them even offers to wash his feet. They just make their way around the table. And so Jesus girded himself with a towel. What might inspire such a feat? F-E-A-T John tells us there were four things behind Jesus' actions here Four things that would motivate him Four things that I wouldn't have thought would motivate such behavior as washing feet Look at him again back in verse 1 It tells us Jesus knowing that his hour had come So he knew it was his hour And as we talked about midweek If I knew it was my hour I don't think I would be hanging out with the disciples Concerned about them I would be concerned about me as most of us would. But Jesus knew it was His hour. Down in verse 3, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into His hand. So He's got total authority. Absolute control. And that He had come forth from God, meaning He's divine, and was going back to God, meaning (laughs) you guys are on your own. And it was all of these things together. He knew He was from the Father, going back to the Father. He knew His hour had come. He knew that He had complete and absolute authority. And I read those and I think, wow, sounds like a prelude to a mighty, holy, majestic act. Because He knew His hour had come. Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives, we might think. And began to proclaim the Gospel of the Kingdom as angels sang in the heavens and the world lit up with the truth of God's presence on earth. That's what I would expect. But he knew his hour had come. He knew he had all authority. Knew he was going back to the Father for he had come from the Father. And rather than that preparing us for a profound moment of glory, it prepares us for corns, bunions, and toe jam. (laughs) something was afoot. (laughs) An issue (laughs) arose before Jesus exchanged his linen robe for a terrycloth towel. What was that? As they came into the room, one other thing was going on. Perhaps the reason we have 12 lords skipping right by the water basin. They were arguing over who was greatest. Greatest. They were in the midst of this absolutely ridiculous, but completely human argument. Luke twenty-two twenty-four 24 says there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. The one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. He had already told them this before. This was not new information. This was not a new surprising teaching. He said in verse 27 of Luke 22, For who is greater, the one who reclines, as they were all doing, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines? Well, yes, Lord, is the one who reclines. And Peter's probably upset that he's not in the place where he should be, right to the right or the left of Jesus. But Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. Foot washing. Foot washing was not only the task of the household servant. It was the most menial task for the lowest rank of household slave. And no one thought to do it as they entered the room that night. No one but Jesus. To make matters worse, remember how they were seated, you Bible students, around that three-sided table called a triclinium, a low table down to the ground, pillows all the way around, and you would lean on your left arm and you would eat with your right, which meant that your feet were in the face of the next guy over. Your stinky, smelly feet were right there. And so verse 4 tells us, He got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that no rabbi had the right to ask his disciples or to require his disciples to wash his feet. He didn't have the right. They could, you know, if they wanted to or if they desired to or just wanted to, to have a moment there. But... No rabbi was allowed to ask that of his disciples. But it would be absolutely unthinkable for the rabbi himself to get down and wash their feet. I mean, this just was unheard of. This wasn't done. Charles Spurgeon says he disrobed himself. Though angels longed to cast the imperial purple about his shoulders, with all things in hand, he took a towel and wiped the disciples' feet this experience had such an impact on Peter, especially Peter, that I believe he wrote thinking about this decades later, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, when he said, "...clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Clothe yourselves, he says, with humility. That word clothe in the Greek that Peter uses is in combo oh my... And omai" means to gird oneself around the waist. To wrap yourself, as it were, in humility. It's synonymous with the same word, not the same word, but but a similar word that John used in terms of girding. It's the same type of word. Like, Like we would use the word gird or wrap or tie. And so Peter, looking back, says, Man, wrap yourselves with humility. And the perfect picture of that. And what I'm convinced was in Peter's mind years later was Jesus with a towel around His waist. That's how we're to be. Listen, when people around you clamor for power, when they argue for authority, it could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be a boss or a co-worker, brother or sister... Anyone in your life could be the police officer who just pulled it over. That's still on my mind.
1: <laughs>
0: Someone seeks to put you down in the pecking order of the world. We have two choices as to how to handle it. We can throw in the towel. We can give into it. Act like it. Be a part of it. Kind of like Pontius Pilate who rather than standing up for truth that looked him in the eyes, threw in the towel, washed his hands of, of the whole situation. You can throw in the towel. It's as easy as putting on pride. As simple as seeking the approval of men rather than the approval of God. See, here's the thing. If you seek the approval of God, humility is par for the course. If you want to please the Lord, you will humble yourself in every and all situation knowing that it pleases Him. It's only when I'm seeking to please myself or sometimes those around me that I stand up and I refuse to gird myself with humility. So you can throw in the towel or you can put on the towel. We can wear humility. We can bend the knee. We can wash the feet. We can serve the needs. And that's not easy. You know it's not. Man, there are times the last thing I want to do is let someone lord it over me. Am I supposed to just do that? Yeah. If you want to be like Jesus, who girds himself with a towel, who, although he existed in the form of God, Paul writes, Philippians 2.6, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and here we see it played out before our very eyes, taking the form of a bond servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And remarkably what this tells us is the foot washing was not the most humiliating thing that Jesus did. It was not his most extreme moment of humility. The cross was that. This was just one stop along the way. Back in John 13, verse 1, the NIV translates this opening sentence saying, Having loved those who were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of His love. The NASV translates that, He loved them to the end, which is more accurate, by the way. And that's important to know, because He did love them to the end. He didn't just show them the full extent of His love in the moment of washing their feet. He loved them to the end, to the very last breath, to His crucifixion. And as we talked about this last week, He continues to love us to the end. All the way to the end of your life. All the way into the consummation of all things. He continues to love, will continue to love. To the end, President Obama at the uh, Washington Correspondents' Dinner. I guess that was held last night in Washington D.C. And it's the dinner where they always do a lot of joking around, and it's a very lighthearted evening, and and things are going on there. And and he got up and he made a comment. And he's he's speaking in jest, and he says uh, Michelle Bachman apparently said the other day that I may be bringing about the end. Of the world. He goes, that's quite a legacy. Boy, you know, Lincoln and Washington can't boast of something like that. I read that this morning side by side with the 7.8 earthquake in Nepal. And my first thought, and I am just being honest with you all, was, I don't think I'd be joking about bringing on the end of the world. Maybe that's one joke I would X out of the script. Because we see things, and I I do have to pause for a second here in the teaching and mention Nepal. We need to be praying, not only for the Nepali people, but for our brothers and sisters in Nepal, which is a small but growing group of followers of Jesus. That only in the last couple of decades has it really broken open in Nepal. Part of what's called the 1040 window, that region of earth, around the earth, that band where people have not heard the gospel until now and are actually beginning to hear the Gospel some for the first time. But when we see things like earthquakes, 7.8. One of the largest, if not the largest, earthquakes reported, in, in, in at least reporting history of earthquakes. 7.8 is huge. I was in the 7.0 quake in San Francisco back in 90. This is 7.8. The other thought that came to mind is, We know that Jesus is coming soon based on the birth pangs, which as we've talked about, birth pangs increase with, both become more frequent and more intense. Frequency and intensity are how you know the birth pangs are winding down to the moment of the birth. And Jesus says these are only the birth pangs, talking about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in various places and famines and, and pestilence, these things. He said they're birth pangs. And in describing the birth pangs, describe going more and more, as we get to the end, we should experience more and more of this stuff going on in the world, and it should be more intense. 7.8 on the Richter scale. Jesus said, for all that, John said, he loved them to the end. And brothers and sisters in Christ, don't miss that. He will not stop loving you. He will love you right to the very end. Whether it's the end of your human life here on earth, or it's the end of time as we are caught up to be with Him, He will love you to the very end. I grew up reading the NIV, which says, He now showed them the full extent of His love. Now aside from that being a weak translation... It was confusing to me because the foot washing here in John 13 is not the full extent of his love. As I said, the cross, that's the full extent. This is the one before the cross. This was an extreme show of his affection for the disciples, his willingness to serve even them to wash their feet. And with hindsight, what this does is it gives me even greater appreciation of what Jesus meant when He said, I am among you as one who serves. I'm among you as one who serves. If that means I'm the only one in the room who wraps myself in the towel to serve those who are there, I'm among you as one who serves. If that means I'm the only one on the planet who can be lifted up on a cross and pour out every last drop of my blood so that you might be saved, I am among you as one who serves. What? A Savior. What a remarkable, loving, compassionate God. Is it hard for you to serve someone who's lording it over you? Just look to Jesus, just look to Him. Well, verse 5 says he poured water into the basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. I want to show you four things that really stand out to me in this amazing moment. This divine down and dirty incident where Jesus washes their feet. And the first thing, just to notice here, is the care of Christ. The care don't read too far. Stop. The reason we pause at verse 5 is sometimes we don't take long enough to think about or to envision what's going on. Picture Jesus cradling each of the disciples' feet in his hands. Envision the Lord tenderly washing off the grime of that dusty root from Bethany over the Mount of Olives across the Cadron Valley and finally up into Jerusalem. Imagine the Christ wiping the dirt from under their arches and around their ankles and between their toes all with the very towel that he was girded with. And then tell me do you think they would ever seen anything like this? Now when he walked on the water they had never seen anything like that. When he raised from the dead they had never seen anything like that. But when Jesus tenderly, compassionately, lovingly watched each one of their feet, one after another after another, can you imagine the silence and the awkwardness in the room? (laughs) I mean, it just would have been strange. The the apostles looking around at each other. What's going on? Of course, Peter's the first one to blurt, but we'll get there. And he's washing their feet. And again, the question had they ever seen anything like this? They had. They had. Back in the Galilee, at the home of a Pharisee named Simon. Luke chapter 7 tells the story this sinful woman party crashes, the luncheon. She comes rushing in. She falls at the feet of Jesus. She begins to wet his feet with her tears. What does that tell us? Lots of tears. And as she sees the the wetness on His feet, she begins to take her hair and and dry and clean off His feet with with her hair. She then anoints His feet with perfume. Talk about an awkward moment. And of course, Simon the Pharisee is sitting there going, oh wow, if he had any idea what kind of a sinner this was. And Jesus... Begins to tell him a parable. And then Jesus says in Luke 7.41, He says to Simon 7.44, Do you see this woman? <laughs> yeah. Kind of obvious. <laughs> not sure how you'd miss her. You know. Simon, do you see? He's not just saying, Did you notice her come in the room? He's saying, Do you see what she's doing? Is this registering with you what's taking place here? Jesus says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. That was a slap in the face, by the way, that no one had offered to wash Jesus' feet when he came into Simon the Pharisee's house. You always had a servant at least wash the feet of your guests. Simon just let it go. Jesus says, but we have another servant here washing my feet. He says, you gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. I love how, talk about the care of Christ, how he receives that from her, how he doesn't shoo her away, how he's not like, (laughs) he's not embarrassed by her. He receives her love and worship. He just lets her go at it. He's so tender. And so she's there and and he says, Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, something you would do for an honored guest. But she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much. Do you see this, Simon? She loved much. Look at this expression of love. Man, you got to love someone an awful lot to do that kind of thing. To show that kind of tenderness. Jesus must have loved the disciples an awful lot. Not only to put up with their foolish conversation about who was the greatest, but then to go and do something like this. June 7th of last year. I've shared with you all before, and, and some of you saw this take place. My daughter's wedding, Hannah and Josiah. And I knew this was coming. I knew they were going to do this in the reception. They had talked to me about it ahead of time. And and it was their wedding, so I wasn't going to tell them not to do it. But I was thinking, this is going to be a little weird, but, you know, whatever, it's Hannah, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we'll see what happens here. They had planned to, rather than doing the garter, you know, uh, pull the garter off, throw it around. Instead of that, Josiah wanted to show Hannah respect. It's one of the reasons why he was allowed to marry her. (laughs) They were both totally in. They decided instead of that to do foot washing. Now, again, leading up to it, I thought, well, that'll be interesting. A little odd, but okay, you know, whatever. I'll I'll excuse myself and go get cake at that moment. (laughs) It was the most touching moment of the entire day for me. Here is Josiah in a tuxedo on his knees. Washing my daughter's feet. Yeah, it was awesome. And then here's my daughter in her beautiful white wedding gown, down on the floor, washing her husband's feet. you got to love someone an awful lot to do something like that. And the tenderness with which they both did it. Psalm 25, verse 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they ever have been of old. That is the heart of the Father. So it shouldn't be shocking to us or surprising to us to envision Jesus with the disciples' feet in his hands, tenderly washing, caressing those feet. It's the tenderness of God. And it comes from a heart bursting. With love. How much did Jesus care for his boys to do something like this? The care of Christ. Secondly, the cleansing of Christ. Verse 6. Verse 6 He came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. I love that. I love that because there are often times in my life where God is doing something and I don't understand until hereafter. I don't get it in the moment. I don't understand what God is up to, what Jesus is trying to accomplish. I don't know why I'm in the awkward or difficult situation that I'm in. But Jesus would say, just as He said to Peter, look, you'll get it. Maybe not right now. You're going to understand hereafter, later on. And as we already quoted 1 Peter five five, he did. He did understand. Clothe yourselves with humility. He got it. But that's not good enough for Peter just yet. Verse 8, Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus, uh, Peter, Peter is always jumping into the deep end. You know, he's always feet first. In he goes. And he still didn't understand. But I can tell you this much about Peter. we got to give him kudos here. A little credit. Give him props. He did love Jesus. He absolutely loved Jesus. And when he realized what was going on here, what the point was that, that Jesus said, "You got, I'm doing this so that you can have part of me, then Peter says, then I want more of you. Right attitude, Peter. A little wonky in your delivery, but it's the right attitude. I want more of you, Lord. I th- and so I'm I'm impressed with Peter for that. Don't stop there. So it comes from a right heart. In verse 10, Jesus then said to him, and I I I know I read it this way, I can't imagine he's he's not chuckling to himself, as Peter says, Just don't stop with my feet, Lord. Give me a bath. <laughs> And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. One more reason why we know Jesus loved Judas to the very end. Because on the night of his betrayal, Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Now we dealt with Judas last week, but don't miss what Jesus is saying to the rest of them here in this moment. He's talking about the cleansing of Christ and it's very significant for disciples, for followers. F.F. Bruce translates this, He who has bathed has no need to wash except for his feet. He's clean all over. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm just washing your feet. Your head's clean. Your hands are clean. That's not an issue here, Peter. Just let me wash the grime off your feet. Because if you're already clean, you don't need to be cleansed again. But you do need your feet washed. And that is so significant for us as followers of Jesus Christ. There are two kinds of cleansing that Jesus provides. There's the full bathing. And there's the foot washing. Full bathing, foot washing. The word here for bathing. He's, he who has bathed. Jesus says it "Is luo in the Greek and luo means a complete head-to-toe bath. It means that you are washed all over. It is the word that you would use. I'm going to go take a bath. I'm going to go take a luo with a loofah. I don't know. I know how that works. 1 <laughs> Corinthians 6.11 says you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Full body cleansing. You are completely washed in the blood of Christ. When you come to faith in Jesus, when you accept His Lordship, He washes you. Baptism is the symbol of that. That's why we have this big stone baptistry in here. It is an important symbol of what Jesus is doing, of the washing, of the cleansing, the one-time cleansing, the full-body wash. Titus 3.5 He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And in both of those verses 1 Corinthians 6.11 and Titus 3.5 the word for washed there is bathed. It's the same word that John uses here when Jesus says He who has bathed. The root word is luo. And Paul uses apoluo, and, and he uses with Titus luotron, but they're all tied to that root word of absolute complete cleansing, the full bathing. That's first. That's what Jesus offers. How many of you, let me see a show of hands, how many of you have bathed by faith in the blood of Christ Jesus? Amen. How many of you have been symbolically then water baptized? Amen. Now, I didn't count or see, but just so you know, the number of hands on both questions should be the same. If you've been bathed in His blood by faith, you need to be bathed or should have been bathed in water as an outward expression of what He did inwardly. But listen. Here's where it's interesting. Jesus said, you're already clean. I got you covered. You're washed. You're bathed. But you need to wash your feet. And there is a spiritual reality here for us to tie into. The bathing is before the journey. The washing is throughout the journey. From time to time, our feet are going to get mucky again. Dusty, grimy. Our feet are going to need washing as we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. The word for wash there, and this is easy to remember, is niptoe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> nipto, it is, that's the Greek word It means washing, it's like washing your hands You would nipto, wash your face, you would nipto Washing your feet, you would nipto Taking a bath, you would luo So they're two unique words How many of you were bathed for the journey But now find yourself occasionally a little grimy in this world? All the time. Yeah, a little dirty It's like, wow, well, I, I did the washing but after this week, you know, now I know some of you take a bath at least once a week, whether you need it or not.
1: <laughs>
0: I would suggest more often. But, no, the idea is that we still get dirt of the word, world on our feet. It still sticks to us. And Jesus says, look, you're clean. But you gotta wash those feet, man. You gotta clean the grime off the soles of your feet. You gotta get your soles washed, as it were. How do we do that? We (laughs) nip toe it in the (laughs) bud. You need to get your feet wet again. Understand this. We need to get our feet wet again and again and again. One time washing, one absolute cleansing. At the beginning of the journey. But then throughout the journey, we continue to get our feet wet. How do we do that? By the washing of water with the Word, Ephesians 5 tells us. By the refreshment of the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures tell us. And by one more thing, which we'll come to in just a minute. The point is we don't need regeneration over and over and over. But we do need refreshment. We don't need the full bathing, but we do need the foot washing, especially our feet. Why the feet? Because we're on the go. Because as the Bible tells us, Ephesians 6.5, we have shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Because it's our feet that carry us as we bring the message of the gospel. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and says to Zion, Your God reigns. But there's nothing lovely or beautiful about dirty feet. What do you mean? Who's going to listen to you preach the gospel if I'm tracking mud all over their floors? Let's say you're... You remember the old, back in the 60s, it was a big deal. The, the vacuum salesman would go door to door. And if they were real stinkers, they would come into your house and immediately spill something on your carpet so that they'd have to vacuum it up and show you how great their vacuum was. Okay? Can you imagine one of these guys trying to sell a unit like that but walking in with mud all over their feet? Or having just someone come to your house to do some work on the house. A lot of the the guys who now come to work in our different homes will will put those little plastic booties on. You know, they're so cute. (laughs) But they put the little booties on because they're trying to respect the house, right? If you bring the gospel to someone and your feet are covered in muck and mire and you track it in on their carpet and floors, are they even going to hear the gospel? For us to bring the good news of Jesus. we got to do it with clean feet. Well, how do we do that again? You get washed in the water of the Word. You are harming the message of the Gospel if you are not in the Word. You're trapping the world around with you rather than the Word by clean feet. In the regenerative power, in the restoration, in the refreshment of the Spirit of God we keep our feet clean the cleansing of Christ again it's first full bathing washed in his blood and then foot washing as needed throughout the journey the care of Christ the cleansing of Christ number three and I'll come back to this cleansing in just a moment but number three is the call of Christ the call continuing on verse 12 So when He had washed their feet and taken His garments and reclined again, He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call Me Teacher and Lord. And you are right, for I am. You're right, I am Teacher and Lord. So you're right to call Me that. If I then... The Lord and Teacher washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. I gave you an example so that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master nor is one greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, listen, if you know these things, don't miss this, if you know these things, you are blessed if you what? Do them. Don't just know them. If you know them but don't do them, you miss the blessing. If you know them and do them, you become blessed. In other words, we're not just the washies, we're the washers. Not only do we have clean feet because we come to the water of the Word, and because we come to the Spirit of the Lord, we have clean feet because of each other. Because we're washing each other's feet. How so? How so? This is the third way that we keep feet clean along the journey. John wrote in 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. But John takes it a step further. 1 John 1.8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But... If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Word washes. That's true. The Spirit refreshes. Absolutely no doubt. But the sweet confession of a believer in fellowship with another believer also works to keep our feet clean. You want clean feet? Confess one to another the sin in your life. You see, it's a whole lot easier to wash something when we acknowledge it. A whole lot easier to get rid of the grime when we recognize that it's there. Ignore it, and you stay grimy. And unfortunately, I think there have been a lot of times, I'll take this personally, in my life, where as a follower of Jesus Christ, I've been walking grimy because I didn't want to tell anybody what was really going on in my life. Because I didn't want to be open and honest about it. Why? Well, because that might knock me down a few rungs in my position. Confession keeps our feet clean. The Word, yes, the Spirit, absolutely. And confession, one to another, washes our feet. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For some of us, This may be the most risky aspect of getting our feet wet. Well, I can sit there and Bible study, straight back, Bible open, and look like I'm getting it. And boy, I I can pray in the spirit. I can pray like Elijah, man. I got all the right words. I've got all the right phrases. I can, I can go there. And if people are listening, they're going to go, wow, he's clean. But to confess my sin? To share with a a brother in the Lord? And by the way, I would strongly encourage brothers confess to brothers and sisters confess to sisters and don't cross those lines. Unless it's a husband confessing to a wife or a wife to a husband. Brothers, you have no business confessing your sins to a sister in Christ. Again, unless she's your wife. Why not, Rick? Because you're setting yourself up for intimacy that is not appropriate between a man and a woman who are not married. Sisters, talk to sisters. Share what's going on. I've been struggling with this. Will you pray with me, sister? This is the sin issue that is most difficult for me right now. Brothers with brothers. It's risky. Some might say, yeah, if I confess my sin, what if the result is gossip? What if I end up slandered because of it? Don't I risk being exposed for who I really am? Not where the cleansing agent is love. Not in a fellowship that is determined by the power of the Spirit of God to love like Jesus loved. If you come to me to confess sin and I am loving you just as I am called to love you, no fear. No worry. And Peter called the church to that. We are called to that. In fact, that's a word for this fellowship this morning. To love like that. To love so much that there is no fear of confession because we know we're not going to gossip or slander each other about it. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, phileo, brotherly love, I mean, you're you're showing brotherly love, Peter says, that's great. But now he says, fervently love one another from the heart. Agapao. The church needs to shift from brotherly love to agape love, unconditional love. We can come into fellowship one with another and love each other as brothers and sisters and hang out together and enjoy being together. But the real test of going from brotherly to unconditional love is how we treat each other's confession. How open we are able to be one with another. How we are walking in the light as He is in the light. That's what that means. That we walk in openness. That we are able to be transparent one with one another because the love is authentic genuine it's a love that provides a safe place for people to get healed for people to receive Jesus to confess struggles and failures and yes sins because we all know this simple truth we all need his love and there's not a one among us who stands higher than the rest because they've got it down not a one of us we need each other to keep the feet clean Because we can't bring the gospel to a lost world with dirty feet. It will not be received as it is. Again, John began the chapter saying, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And now Jesus tells his disciples, a.k.a. you and me, To do the same thing, to love to the end, to love each other along the way, cleansing each other's feet with compassion and understanding and grace in confession all the way to the end. By the way, skip down to verse 34. Jesus said on that same night, just a few minutes later, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, the disciple must really, really, really love. Really love. Really. (laughs) Why is this a new commandment, Jesus says? Because the law taught us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And now Jesus comes along and says, No, no, don't just love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. What's that mean? Greater than yourself. Jesus loved us more than He loved Himself. That is a stunning thought. That the God of all eternity chose to love us more than His own life. That's why that's a new commandment. That's, that's love to the extreme. And that's what we're invited to, what we're called to. That is the measure of the depth of Of my discipleship, the degree to which I love like Jesus loved. And again, note this, if our feet are washed as we're loving each other the way He loves, not just knowing it, but we're doing it, right? He says, if you do this, you're going to be so blessed. So if I'm loving in this fellowship, because this is our flock, this is our fellowship, right? Here on North Whidbey Island. If I'm loving you all, you're loving me, we're loving each other with this level of love, We're going to be blessed. And this region will be blessed by the bringing of the gospel because as our feet get washed, the good news of the gospel goes out. The cleaner our feet, the more clear the sound of the gospel call because they will know we are His disciples by our love. So we see the care of Christ, the cleansing of Christ, the call of Christ. Last thing. For all that Jesus shows us in this story, the most important one is the character of God. The character of God. Verse 20. Truly, truly I say to you, he who receives me, or who receives whomever I send, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. On Wednesday we talked about the line of the gospel. Going from God the Father through Jesus' the Son to all those who He sends. And if He sends you and someone receives that message, guess what? They're not receiving you. They're receiving Jesus who sent you. The line of the Gospel across 20 centuries now. But there's something else here. He says, He who receives Me after having just washed their feet receives Him who... Sent me, translation, God just washed your feet. God just did this. We need to understand this. Hebrews 1 3, Jesus is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Giving us an amazing revelation of the one we might call the God of the towel. Because it's God who was washing feet that evening. It's God who girded himself with the towel. It's God who got down on his knees. It's God who cared and cleansed and called the disciples to follow him. F.F. F. Bruce puts it this way, the form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant but was revealed in the form of a servant. Listen to that again. The form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant, but was revealed in the form of a servant. I mean, that's that's it's who God is. And what Jesus did there that night wasn't just an object lesson. He was just acting out the heart of the Father. We've seen so many aspects of God in the Gospel of John, haven't we? One after another, Jesus doing this, Jesus doing that, Jesus saying this, and all of it proclaiming His divinity, His majesty, His glory, His wonder. And suddenly here, right before we get to the cross, we get the most astounding explanation of the character and nature of God, Servant. Servant. I am among you as one who serves. And it shouldn't surprise us. From the manger, place of His birth, to the carpenter's shop, His first job, to itinerant ministry in the Galilee of all places, to the upper room, to the cross, what Jesus did on earth was fully in keeping with who He is in heaven. So it wasn't difficult for Him to Disrobe and wrap himself in a towel because it's who he is. And it expresses this servant heart of God. By the way, John's upper room account parallels the very incarnation of Christ. How so? Jesus got up from supper, verse 4 tells us, just as he got up from the repose of his heavenly throne. Verse 4 goes on to say that Jesus laid aside His garments. Well, He laid aside His heavenly glory, didn't He? We're told that that Jesus, taking up a towel, girded Himself. Likewise, Jesus girded Himself in human flesh, wrapped Himself in humanity. Verse 5 tells us He poured water into a basin. Well, He also poured out His blood for the salvation of all who would receive Him to cleanse from sin. Verse 7 tells us what Jesus did wasn't realized then, but was realized hereafter. Same with the cross. What happened in His first coming? He wasn't received. He wasn't recognized for who He was. He wasn't accepted until hereafter, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection of Jesus. Then, one by one by one, they began to fall. People began to recognize and realize what He had done hereafter. And in verse 12, it tells us Jesus took up His garments and reclined again. Well, in the same way, He returned to glory. He has taken up His glory. He has sat down again at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so the parallel is perfect. And to receive Jesus is to receive God, towel and all. And that's why, as His followers, we are called to be servants. Because it makes us like Him. We act like Him. We do like He did. We are humble like the very Jesus that is offered to the world. Don't be a flat footed follower, lazy, slow moving. Don't be footloose. That doesn't really matter. You know, whatever. Don't be caught back on your heels. Or you may end up carried out feet first. Get your feet wet. Get your feet wet. This morning, if you need to be cleansed for the first time by faith in Jesus Christ, while we sing this next song, I invite you to come forward and just confess your need for Jesus. We baptize you this morning. But there are among us this morning, and you know who you are, people with dirty feet. We just need to get them washed so we can go out and carry the Gospel. And if you've got any issue in your life that you think may be a stain on your soul, then come forward and pray with a brother or sister. Confess that. Bring it to the Lord. Don't be afraid to get your feet wet. Let's stand up and sing together.
1: See you, Thank you.